Hello, hello, <laughs> and welcome back to the Lack of Depth Football Podcast, the podcast that is all lack and no depth. I am once again joined by no one. Uh, less said on that, the better. No, um, I'm once again joined by no one, but I will soon again be joined by someone, and this podcast will focus on no 11s and stuff. Because we've done a lot of them, and some light, flirtatious coverage of some football opinions of mine that may have changed uh, since we, because we started with a lot of opinion stuff. You guys, all four of you, would have found out pretty early on that I like um, Bryson, that I like Mark Kukurea, that I don't like Christensen. I love a fullback. And that's that's pretty much it. And I like uh, younger players. <laughs> and I and I like and I like just young talent coming through, doing what we all love seeing footballers do, which is play football. That's one of the things they're objectively best at. But as I touched on in the last podcast, one of the things this is a non-alcoholic beer. One of the things that comes up sometimes or all the time or sometimes never is oh I don't speak like this. One of the things that comes up sometimes or all the times and often never is the fact that I have began to play football manager obsessively. Obsess obsessive obsessively? No. I'll some amount. And uh The things that I have learned from playing football manager are, I was going to say limitless, but limited, but I think you do. I think just watching football and never having been in coaching, you get a wrong idea of how easy it is to enact a plan. And I think Football Manager still paints an incorrect picture of how difficult it is to, and of how it makes it seem easier than it is to enact a plan, to have a vision of how a football team should play and then execute it. I think obviously it's far easier to do that in Football Manager than in real life. But the layers and the complexity of a football club and the different sections of a football club that one must, you know, uh, run correctly in order to achieve sustained success as articulated in football manager in a way that isn't often articulated through just the viewing experience and so I do think you gain a bit of a slightly increased scope of 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 what success actually looks like in the back end and just how logistical and boring success is um with that being said one of the most interesting aspects of football manager and the reason why people love it so much is definitely the tactics people love coming up with an idea of how a football team should play and seeing that idea be measured in the success of that team in the imaginary league that it plays in and so that's kind of one of the reasons why i love it the most but although actually once you get into it the success of your team is far far more down to having better teams than the other teams in your league than purely that. But 
that tactical scope that you gain and that interest in tactics has it's really expanded certainly my view of football but also why all the essentially why all the things that people say about football teams are the things that matter but with all this tactical stuff says all of that may be nonsense to you and i may have cut it all out but our first section today on this solo podcast are my favorite players since starting to play football manager so these may be players that i didn't particularly know of or like before but um we'll start from number one who you know is someone i just adore on the game and in real life our, our number and then we'll work our way down to to just lesser lessons that i may have picked up in other things that are really important number one for my favorite players since starting to play football manager or fm is dan Byrne. dan Byrne recently signed for newcastle they signed him for upwards of 10 million but before the most recent update the january update where the game was updated with uh, sort of the teams where players are at now, you could get him for four million. And Dan Byrne is a competent centre back, a competent left back, and a competent left wing back. Albeit not explosively fast, but not slow. He's not. He's just he's not slow, and he's a fucking stilt. He's ugly tall. He probably looks ridiculous in most normal-sized chairs. He is a logistical issue in in every sense of the word. And yet, all six foot seven of them, entirely useful in a football pitch. He's... Quickly, my notes on him. Fucking still is composed on the ball. Endlessly useful during set pieces, which is a ridiculously important part of football that's often overlooked. Really important teams practice them all the time Eddie Howe practiced them all the time at Bournemouth so the fact that Dan Byrne now it was mentioned in the commentary but Dan Byrne doesn't pick anyone up Eddie Howe just puts him in and Dan Byrne heads it and he actually does which is a reflection of the fact that he's fucking massive Uh, I've also written he's an elite clatterer of wingers and he is an elite clatterer of wingers he leaves a mark which I've, although is like kind of makes him an arsehole it's what you want in a centre back like yeah he's composing the ball which is great but he's also going to fucking clatter someone and you need someone who's both technically able to do that but willing Dan Burns got a bit of like Craig Dawson, Johnny Evans vibes where, you know oh, no, who's that man you cunt oh, tip my tongue tip my tongue Phil Jones F- Phil Jones he's got a bit of the Phil Jones and that Dan Byrne is willing to do the ugly stuff the thing with Phil Jones is that it's all ugly stuff and so people made fun of him, but Dan Byrne has the training from Brighton to be able to do the pretty stuff and he's also good at the ugly and yeah you could get him for he's got a chip in his shoulder because obviously Newcastle released him before 
and you could get him for four million pounds in the game. And obviously, to contextualise that in real life, Newcastle paid upwards of ten million for him. But if we are to assuming that FM is an accurate portrayal of football performance, he's as complete as they come, and Newcastle especially with the quality they have now, they'll be playing teams who want to play more direct because that's how teams play when they're playing against a Man City. Uh, <laughs> because that's how teams play when they're playing against a Man City or something like that. Sorry, my computer crashed there. Where was I? No, 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 no. Teams play more direct against teams that are, will be able to dominate them. If they were to try and have some of possession, they'll leave themselves open to counterattacks against attackers that are much better than their defenders, and so da 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 da. You don't want to be isolated, like I really poorly explained before. That's bad. When they play direct, which they'll be forced to do because of all the quality that Newcastle have coming, have brought in, and will continue to bring in because the recruitment's been fantastic. Dan Burnell win the header, and then what? Like, you've already seen that Eddie Howe can play an incredibly effective, aggressive press that was absolutely suffocating for Chelsea. If you can't go long and you can't go short, what you have there is the makings of a fantastic defensive team, which Newcastle absolutely looked like against Chelsea. Newcastle looked like one of the best defences in the league, and next year they will be. Next year they will be an elite defence. Like that's I don't think that's arguable to me. Eddie Howe they've 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 got the when Ragnit came into Man United they talked there was so much talk about and a lot of references to this. I think it was a coach's voice video, in fact I know it was because I've watched it, where Ragnit talked about why you need young players with chips on their shoulder who are hungry, who want to prove themselves and all this and Newcastle have that in abundance mixed with the quality of world-class centre mids like Bruno Guimaraes. Like, that's frightening, insane and ridiculous. They have a team that will play, that have the mental attitude of Burnley and the ability to press of Chelsea. Or, like, Liverpool before they entirely worked it out and that is suffocating and you saw Chelsea get suffocated and they are you know I mean they're the champions of Europe although not playing at their base right now but if you can completely suffocate and stifle the champions of Europe you can be one of the best defences in uh, the Premier League so Dan Byrne is good is my first point and two uh, Newcastle will be really good next season which I don't think will shock anyone. But I think the fact that it's a defensive development is a testament to Eddie Howe. And I know if Andrew was here, he'd disagree with that. But yeah, I think testament to Eddie Howe, they can drop in and they can play a high press, which is just fucking excruciating to play against. So yeah, well done. Two, player number two. Uh, I've gone for Dusan Vlahovic. And... 
what what can I say about them? Someone hasn't already played. It said I so I watch a lot of Premier League football. That's why this is a Premier League podcast. That's why I make my friends talk about it. It's interesting to me. Uh, the reasons why I like the Premier League are everyone's very good, everyone's very well coached, and there's a lot of unique tactical systems that uh, mean that there's a lot of interesting stuff to watch when you're watching a Premier League game. You also already know the players, and so there's like the drama. It almost like you can watch, you cannot, almost everyone can watch the Premier League without having to start on season one of it, of having no connection and understanding of the quality of the players or the backstories or the interests or the I was going to say compositions their composure their their things like this like knowing the individual histories of the players and the things and the things and where they are in their career and what they want to do heightens the drama but also heightens the intrigue like you want to know how Chambers is going to get on at Villa because you know that he's come from kind of being on like the last line of the bench at Arsenal. And so for him to come in and score a screamer just feels more stuff. And so I know a lot of football hipsters like watching other leagues because there's more to sink your teeth into there in terms of unknown talent who you can familiarise yourself with and then get that same kind of thrill but in a more niche and, I guess, cool to them way. There's just something so accessible about how massive the Premier League is oh god it's huge uh, but yeah Vlahovic I hadn't seen a lot of him when he was running around at Florentina I thought he looked like a bit of a wanker I thought he looked quite old he looks sort of like he was made in a lab in the 1940s but in the game and in real life He's a he's a fucking murderer. Like he is terrifying. He is just ruthless. He's was born to play for a club way and I know this is gonna sound harsh, but like bigger than Juventus, which I know kind of doesn't exist, but I just think he should be in the Premier League. He's just I wish Arsenal signed him. It would have been amazing. He's a, he's not complete, but mentally he's he's above and beyond where he needs to be. He's just. I'm not sure if he's. I'm not sure if you can liken him to Haaland and Mbappe. I I wouldn't. But what I I would liken him to, Ibrahimovic, for sure, and I know Ibrahimovic is a bit of a loser. And is 40 years old and calls himself a lion. But he's obviously got that cult of personality, but he's he's enigmatic and iconic and lives for the big moment. And I just think a 22-year-old with, with Ibrahimovic vibes is ridiculous. And so... Arsenal will be kicking themselves, obviously. Probably not because... Well, no, they probably will be, but... I'll get onto later, but they've they've been playing, you know... Pretty good football, really. For them. So, yeah. Uh, Vlahovic is, is a killer. He's an assassin. He's all these things that people refer to pe- things as. He's really good, and he kicks the ball in goal. 
another riveting analysis. My next player, Casemiro is amazing. He's, if you watch any football podcast ever, they'll talk about the value of having a player who can give you a consistent 7 out of 10. Is Casemiro that? Yeah. But also, he's that in a defensive sense, which means he's reliable, which means, you know, reliability is important in defence. But he's kind of too reliable to be a star. That's what I've written here. He's too reliable to be highly regarded and his arsehole face is holding him back. Which is as true as Arsenal face is holding him back. But yeah, Casemiro. What's Casemiro's game? Simple passes. Uh, anchoring a Real Madrid team that's changed so much over the years. And also so little with Angelotti coming back. But yeah, he's just really fantastic and solid. And obviously overshadowed by the more exciting players around him. But he's he's frighteningly more consistent than Luka Modric. Luka Modric is better though at the end of the day Luka Modric is more of a special player but Casemiro can do the simple things at an incredibly elite level and so I think Busquets gets a lot of praise and I think Casemiro I don't think he's better than Busquets because Busquets is more romantic and I like him but he's up there my fourth is Mason Mount slash De Bruyne because I don't think people realise I would Focus on De Bruyne first, I don't think people realise how complete he is and the fact that he is an elite box-to-box midfielder as well as the best playmaker in the world. He's an elite box-to-box. He's also a physical beast who's built like a tank and is an arsehole and goes red and is creative and sees the game two hours before everyone else and whatever. Wife left him for Courtois. But on top of all of these things are incredibly, incredibly important. It's just... You also don't want to try and beat him one-on-one. He'll just... He'll try and tackle you, and if he doesn't, he'll trip you up. And I, I like that about him. And Mason Mount, I've written, is a fucking good centre... Uh, a centre midfielder with an attacking disposition who's incredibly intelligent and will always be in the the weakest corner of the elbow between the midfield and the defence. He will always be sitting in the Achilles heel. And I think in years to come, it will only become more obvious that he's, he's a midfielder, he's not a forward. And by playing as him, playing him as a forward is reductive, reductivist, and and sort of, I just think you could use him better than he is being used right now. I also think Chelsea might sack Tuchel. That is an insight for you because although he's only playing badly because his wing backs have died, and Reese James is amazing. Reese James is stunningly good. He's one of the best players in that team. And he really holds it all together. He gives a consistent 8 out of 10. I'd go as far to say that. Operates within the half space. Tough as shit. In attack. This is an interesting quip. In attack. 
Um, De Bruyne and Trent operate in a fairly similar way. I'm not going to explain that any further because you can probably understand that they're all, they're going into the right half space and kicking it, which is really fucking hard to defend because by being there, you're in between the left back and the left centre back, which is annoying as fuck because who covers them? Then if a midfield covers them, there's a huge gap in zone 14, which is just outside the edge of the box, which Man City would love to dominate in as well. And then just by being in that position, there's also an overload in the left back or the centre back, whichever one decides to go to him. It's uh, it's a re- he's just... De Bruyne's red, like he goes very red. And Reese James can go in there and score a fucking banger, and he's tough as fuck, and he's a really good one on one defender. And you know, I I think he's bloody good, and I understand. Why Chelsea got rid of Livermento? Maybe not Livermento. No. Livermento. I understand why they got rid of Livermento and Tariq Lamptey, because he's better than them. But they're both good as well, and just paint a, both help to paint an accurate picture of just how fantastic an institution that Cobham has been, and it will be sad when it goes into inevitable liquidation. Uh, and number five is Gosens or Goosens. I don't know how it's pronounced, uh, but he's just really good and capable of multiple positions. And Man City sign him every save. They always try and sign him because Man City play total football and he's totally good. Need I say more? No. Time for our next section. Some recent IRL quality, some recent quality that I've seen in real life. First bit of recent quality that I've actually seen in real life, and by by in real life I obviously mean on screen, the whole Arsenal team, but I particularly wanted to highlight the spine. I think Saka has hit form again and is showing how good he is, but hasn't. He has improved, but not at the rate that the rest of the team has. That Arsenal team didn't have a spine a couple months ago. And now they have like a solid spine. Solid spine. It is spinal. Party is an incredibly important part of that. He knows exactly what his job is and he's doing it. Odegaard is... A very, very intelligent player that every winger would love to play with. Wingers want people who will find them when they want to be found. And Odegaard will take up positions specifically with the goal of getting it to Saka exactly where he wants it. And so, with having Odegaard is perfect for Martinelli, perfect for Saka, perfect for Emile Smith-Rowe. I think, I think... Would you play Martinelli more or Smith Rowe more? I'd play Martinelli more. I think Smith Rowe's probably better off the bench. I, I, I don't think Martinelli's a nine. I know that was talked about recently. But yeah, the spine of that team looks fantastic. The two ball playing centre backs are just so good at occupying possession and making the team hard to play against. And I think Tierney will hit. 
the teams become more even. It used to be much more left side dominant, and when it was more left side dominant, that suited Tierney more. But he is a willing and capable right sided centre back, and he's willing to occupy those positions when he has to. And so, yeah, I think he, I think, I think he's slightly out of form for my personal the way I, the quality that I've seen Tierney have. I don't think he's showing it, but. Uh, he will, because he's Scottish, so I say that. Uh, is amazing. Christensen shouldn't get a game, Chalaba should. Chalaba is amazing and composed and a physical beast who's fast and tall. There's no reason why he can't be as good as Rudiger. I don't know why I've said that like Rudiger's shit, but Rudiger was just the only one I could think of. He's just so good and so young. What age is Chalaba? Trevor Chalabar is an English professional footballer. Born 5th of July 1999. Okay, so it appears Chalabar is 10 days younger than me. And unreal. Unreal. So good. Perfect defender. I'd love to own him in one of my imaginary little fantasy things. I took over Newcastle and I brought in Dan Byrne and Chalabar and we became the best defence in the league. It's They're calling what Eddie Howe's doing, the, the, the Kyle Egan pipeline, and for good reason. Because the pipe's lining. Uh, I've written Reese James here. We all talked about it before, but he's just excellent, modern class. And... Dan Byrne, man of the match, v Chelsea. I've touched on that already. Fantastic. A real leader, vocal leader. Fantastic player. Tyreek Mitchell v City. Playing against Man City is hell. And Tyreek Mitchell is alright in it. And Ward Prowse versus Hassan Hootle. What do I want to say? How do I want to word this? I think Ward Prowse might be better in a slightly more slow-paced possession-based game where he was on the ball more in a slightly more I don't want to say attacking positions but just on the ball more in space the space to create is often not afforded to afforded to him and system that they play right now the ball kind of skips through midfield and I think a slightly more settled game might be able to show off his talents more but I was talking to Andrew about this and I think as much as I think that is the case I think Hassan Hüttel's system is flawed but gets the most out of a Southampton I don't think Che Adams is that good I think he's good for Scotland but I don't think he's that good I think Brozier's alright. I think he's quite good. I think he's exciting and I think he will get better. But I just think that he's never going to have more than mid-table quality. And with that in mind, is playing a possession-based game the move? Probably not. Will WordPress ever leave for a bigger club? Probably not. Just because... The ship has kind of sailed. That depends. I think he's 29. Is he 29?
is... He's 27. He's 27 and a captain. Newcastle could bring him in. Some leadership in the midfield. He would play the John Joe Shelby role really well. Instead of having to play John Joe Shelby, who is an incredible long-range passer, as Tifo has told me, but is also unreliable. So maybe a Ward-Prowse instead of a Shelve. I don't know. And we're taking a break. I'm getting a beer. We're taking a break. I'm getting a beer. And I'll be back with you shortly. And I'm back, I'm back, I'm back, I'm back, I'm back. Uh, so yeah, the conclusion of the Ward Prowse Hassenhutl thing is that um, both are good. And that's it. Both are good. And Ward Prowse might leave, but he'd have to leave soon, and I don't think he will. So I don't think he will leave. And Hassenhutl will never coach. Swansea. Next thing I'm going to do is I just paid for a The Athletic subscription, which ended up being 78 a month, which I thought was freaky high. I thought it was going to be a pound a month. But it's where you get all the best football journalism, according to Tifo Football and the other two and a half football podcasts I watch. So we've gone on to The Athletic and I'm right now looking up. I've got three clubs in front of me right now. Particularly want to touch on Everton and Tottenham, but Arsenal's there as well. And I'm going to read through the titles of the articles and see whether I agree or disagree with them as a closing kind of summary of where my footballing brain is at right now. Yeah, and then we'll stop. Okay, Dominic Calvert-Lewin fined £900 and given three points on licence after pleading guilty to speeding offence. I agree. (laughs) Uh, Success and failure on Merseyside. Liverpool and Everton are on the brink in very different ways. Agree. Agree. Let's look at the Premier League table and see where they are before I say anything else. Premier League investigates 400 cases of online abuse. (laughs) Which 400 cases? 400 cases of online abuse related to the Premier League. 400 cases of online abuse related to the Premier League happening right now as I'm speaking. (laughs) 
oh, half of them were just Andrews. But you know what I mean? 400 cases of online abuse related to the Premier League. I've never seen online discourse about the Premier League that wasn't abusive. Like, I have never seen anything that wasn't explicit, explicit vitriol from fans of the same team to fans of other teams. Okay, well, related content, how to report abuse on social media. Holding says reporting abuse was the right thing to do. Fair. Premier League table now. (laughs) Sorry, this is the Premier League website. It's just giving us some insight. Number one is Man City, with a goal difference of plus 50. They've played 29. Liverpool have a game in hand. They've played 28. And City are leading by four points. I think City will still win. I th- Who will I think come fourth? Arsenal. I think Arsenal will come fourth. I know this because they have three games in hand on 5th and 6th and 7th but are currently 4th and look better than all those teams and I actually said they'd come 4th months ago so because that's Spain I was talking about Uh, oh sorry we're in our Everton section I'll have Everton written up there Everton minus 19 goal difference is bad not as bad as Norwich is minus 45 fucking hell Norwich Jesus they've got three games in hand in Watford and they're on the same amount of points as Watford I mean Watford look better but in, in terms of attack they do kind of rely on moments of brilliance from Juan Hernandez and Dennis and King hasn't really provided any, but well, he did provide a hat trick. But yeah, in terms of Everton v Watford, I, I, the horse I'll bet on is Everton. They, I, I think do I think Frank Lampard will be able to galvanize that dressing room? Maybe, but the last time I was on, I said that their defensive systems look like dog shit, and while that isn't as true. Um, their attacking ones look terrible now and I just think it's a huge job it's a huge job and I think what might happen is that Everton go down with Lampard and I think they should keep him and I think he'll get them back up because uh, they are a huge club, club and whether they're spending it or not they 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 can they'll sell players, and they probably should sell Richarlison while they can. Well, maybe keep Richarlison and sell Calvert Lewin, or do both and buy. Do Hassan Vlahovic? No, but you know what I mean. Do, just there's there's obvious business moves that must be made there. They have to sell both. They're good and they're bad. They have to rebuild, and going down to the championship to inevitably come back up this is no disrespect to the championship which is a really difficult division to get promoted from they could do a Sunderland I don't think they will Uh, if they get their recruitment right they'll be absolutely fine long term and I think even if they do go down I think their fans would be happy 
not happy going down, but if they thought if they thought and believed in the recruitment, which has been historically bad, if there was a change made there, if the systems at the club were to change, I think the attitude of the fans would be more uplifted, hopeful, focused. All football fans want is hope. Is something that people frequently say. I believe the big Jordy said that at many points. So Newcastle have hope. They do, to be fair, fuck me. Bags of it. Do you know what I'm saying? Bags of money, of course. From having money. Mm, yes. Anyway. Who's going down? Uh I predict Norwich, Watford. So it's it's Everton or Burnley, really. And Everton have one more point in a game in hand. Uh, what are Burnley's fixtures? Fixtures. If it were by clubs. Burnley. Right, let's see it. Okay, so from the 2nd of April, Burnley have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. 10 fixtures to be played and Burnley v Aston Villa to be confirmed. 2nd of April, Man City, they'll definitely lose. 6th of April, Everton. That's a huge game. That is a huge game. If Burnley beat Everton and beat Norwich, they're fine. 6th of April and 10th of April, they've got Everton and then they've got Norwich. After that, it's West Ham. Burnley could beat West Ham. West Ham aren't on a great run of form right now, but West Ham would be at home, which I actually think is the easier place to play West Ham. I think when West Ham open up at home, they're vulnerable. I think when they play their box-to-box counter-attacking, soak-up pressure, we've got really tall people, kick the ball at us, they'll head them away system. Uh, a la Spur, it's excellent. They're amazing. They're incredibly hard to play at home and easier to play away. So Burnley, Everton, Burnley, Everton, Norwich away, but Everton at home as well. Then they've got Southampton at home who are in a terrible run of form. Wolves, I don't think they'll get any points from. Then they have Watford. You know, I think I think I'll let's see Everton's fixtures. Because right now I'm tempted to say Everton, Watford, Norwich will go down. Let's see Everton's fixtures. So Everton also have an extra fixture. So there's two fixtures to be confirmed are Crystal Palace and Watford. Next, Newcastle. With the form Newcastle on, Everton won't get anything from that. Then they have West Ham. Then they have Burnley, which they kind of they have to win. Then they have Man United, Leicester... Liverpool away, Chelsea, 
Leicester again, Brentford, which is an all right fixture, but I wouldn't take it still. Tony's found form, which I said in this podcast he would, but and then uh, Arsenal. Okay, so the three teams going down are Everton. Uh, the three teams going down are Everton, Watford, and Norwich, and that is decided and won't change. The one thing I did actually really want to focus on was this article by Greg O'Keefe, which said Everton struggles at full back, highlight muddled recruitment and lack of creativity. Right. There are, there are still more questions than answered. True. The failure to plan for the succession of Captain Seamus Coleman has been a problem for a while. Finally, in January, after several short-term and inadequate loans, I'll link this b- below the video, short-term and inadequate loans, the club signed a permanent right-back in the shape of Nathan Patterson for an Ill- initial £11 million for Rangers, who's an excellent young player. But the 20-year-old hasn't started a league game since. I agree that's an issue, with Lampard repeatedly explaining that he is a player for the future. Not a good sign. His potential is undisputed and he may become a success one day, but he was but was he whatever needed when the consequences of a slowing 33-year-old Coleman having to play every league game were becoming ever more painfully apparent? Yeah, Everton's defence is really bad. I say, I say, play Patterson. Bring Patterson in and not playing him is not the right move. And I think, I think Frank will do it. I think he'll play Patterson. But he played Patterson in a cup and was and he wasn't very good. So we'll see. But I say Patterson's good, and I say that the, uh, I say that yeah, Everton are going down and their defense is terrible. Yeah, everyone are going down. Lastly, Tottenham. And the last thing I'm going to say, just to end the video, is to repeat that uh, Tottenham, just because how long have we been filming? Yeah, 48 minutes. Fuck me. Last thing I'll say is that uh, Tottenham signing... Kulosevsky looks amazing and composed and class for his age and just class in general he's undoubtedly Premier League quality with an eye for goal he's not scored that many but he's got an eye for goal and he's creative and he's a very complete inverted winger that works excellently alongside Doherty and Kane and will become an absolute pillar of for uh, Tottenham in attack and uh, ben Tanker has also been amazing. I mean, amazing is a strong word, but I think they're both great signings. Thank you for coming. Goodbye. See you soon.